teacher, this woman has been caught in the act of adultery. Now, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. So what do you say? This they said to test him, that they might have some charge to bring against him. Jesus bent down and wrote with his finger on the ground. And as they continued to ask him, what do you say? Hello, what do you say? He stood up and said to them, let him who is without sin among you be the first to cast a stone at her. And once more, he bent down and wrote on the ground. But when they heard it, they went away one by one, beginning with the older ones. And Jesus was left alone with the woman standing before him. Jesus stood up and said to her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? She said, No one, Lord. And Jesus said, Neither do I condemn you. Go, and from now on, sin no more. One of the most well-known passages in all of the Gospels. It's beautiful, and that's why it's remembered. Unfortunately, it's almost beautiful in the sense uh, when we go into an art museum and admire all the beautiful art. We look at it from a distance. That's beautiful. It would be even more beautiful if we would be like Jesus in this passage. But instead, we throw stones. And maybe because we have a hard time with a saying like this, Jesus is never upset with sinners, but always upset with those who don't think they're sinners. Do you hear that? Sometimes we think, well, duh, sin, God hates sin, and Jesus is upset at your sin. But wait a minute, he's so tender, so hospitable. So forgiving and welcoming towards sinners over and over and over and over in the Gospels. This story, which happens to be one of the most beautiful, memorable examples. We have a hard time living this, don't we? But Jesus does get upset with those who don't think they're sinners. Those that somehow think that, well, we live a better life than those people. And oh, that's, that's a word of caution to the church. So we have two kinds of people. And even in this text right here, two kinds of people. We have sinners, like the woman, the adulteress. We have the deniers, the religious leaders, the scribes and the Pharisees. Sinners, the deniers. The sinners know they're sinners, which is why God is so patient with them. But the deniers... There's no room for God to work because they deny that there's anything happening with them in the first place. So perhaps one of the worst sins we commit today is not the mistakes we make, but it is the sin of accusation, the sin of accusing. It's the sin that these religious leaders commit without even knowing they're committing sin. By pointing out the sin in someone else. Punish her. Do away with him. 
Don't you see what he's done? Accusing, blaming, and condemning are the ABCs of the denying lifestyle. Oh, no, I'm a Christian. God's forgiven me of my sins. I'm okay. I've got nothing wrong with me. In fact, I pray every day. I read my Bible. I walk people across the street, pick up trash as I see it. I don't kick the dog. But when we see sin around us, that is not right. We have to deal with that. We have to condemn that. We have to blame these people as the problem of why our place is the way it is. Accuse, accuse, accuse. And the religious leaders come and do this. When we accuse other people more often than not, it's because we're projecting some sort of problem within ourselves upon them. People who accuse others are rarely feeling very good about themselves. It's because there's stuff in our lives. Everybody has it. Everybody, sinner, non-sinner, Christian, whatever you want to call yourself, Christian, not Christian, everybody has something going on in their life that they don't like. Some part of themselves that they hate. But when we see it in someone else, we attack it. We cope most of the time just by ignoring it. What? What problem? How dare you? And that's the ABCs of the denier. Then we have the ABCs of the sinner. Quite the opposite. Rather than accusing, they're admitting. Rather than blaming, they're bringing their sin. And rather than condemning, they're confessing their sins before God. The deniers attack the sin. The sinner says, yep, you got me pegged. And what we learn by the end of the story is that it is the sinner who is willing to admit, willing to bring, willing to confess his or her sin that Jesus stoops down and says, neither do I condemn you. Now go and sin no more is not a threat. You just better not sin again. It's a statement of liberation. You're no longer bound to that. So go and be free. But of course, we have to now address, don't we, the big question. What was Jesus doing playing in the dirt? Now, I used to get all worked up on what did he write? What did he write? And sometimes the commentaries want to give us suggestions. However, it's, it's become more obvious to me now as I get a little more wise in my life that it doesn't matter what he wrote. Duh, the text doesn't tell us. That's a good hint. It doesn't matter. <laughs> what matters, though, is why he's writing. It's the action of writing. So it doesn't matter if he was doing the ABCs, if he was painting pictures, if he's writing their sins, the popular interpretation, writing their sins in the ground. It doesn't matter. What matters is that he's writing. And why is he writing? I'm going to throw at you a couple of really interesting ideas. Maybe he's, in a sense, rewriting the law. Moses says, killer. Well, God wrote the law with his finger upon the tablets of stone. We see that in Exodus. Here, Jesus, and very clear, it's his finger. He's writing, and he's in the temple on the ground. And it, there's stone there somewhere. Um, that could be a very symbolic parallel. Maybe this is Jesus showing compassion 
to a woman who is just brought into the crowd and thrown down and you can just see her heaving and sobbing and she's scared. She's trembling like a toddler's lower lip when he's lost his parents. Just her whole body, oh, it's going to happen to me. And she's prostrated herself as if before a king. And all the eyes are, this woman, and the other fingers are pointing, right? This woman, this woman, and everyone's, ooh, how dare her? Oh my goodness. And Jesus does something that gets the attention off of her. Because he can only imagine the shame she's feeling. No daughter of mine is treated like this by human beings, even if she's guilty. So he takes the eyes off of her and on himself. Wait, what's, forget her, what's Jesus doing? That is one human and compassionate response. Uh, Maybe he's deflating their accusation. Have you ever been really excited to launch news or to tell someone something that's going on and you come in with all the anticipated reactions and then they're just writing at their desk and like, huh? Oh, yeah, that's great. I knew that yesterday. (laughs) And just all of you like, What? Well, you can imagine now, they're like, we got her. Let's go see what Jesus is going to do. This is going to be good. And they're bringing her in. Jesus, guess what happened here? And he's like, ho-hum. Huh? What? And just, you know, I, oh, I want to ride on the dirt. That sounds more fun to me. And it's like, what? And right there, though, maybe even knowing that their, their goal here, like it says, is so that they might test him. Their motives are wrong. Uh, Jesus is like, oh, I'm not going to give you the dignity of your question. I'm not going to let you have fun with this. I'm going to deflate it before it begins. And that would work, no doubt. (laughs) Maybe he's riding in the ground because he's basically saying, huh, oh, I heard you, but I have better things to do, like playing sandcastles. No, and think about that, though. Here are the religious leaders who would think have much better things to do with their time than hunting out adulteresses. Think that this is it. Our day is successful. We found a bad one. Jesus, a sinner, another sinner has been caught. And Jesus is like, really? I spend my time doing other things. And that is so below me that I'd rather play in the dust than accuse adulteresses. That would be embarrassing. Or maybe... And this is this one. I, all of them sound good, but I personally like this one. You can imagine, right? You're there. Jesus is seated on the ground, as as all rabbis and teachers did. They sat themselves, and the people listening circled around on their feet. And you're you're right up close, pressing to hear. You got your shoulder to shoulder with other people. You can feel the friction. It's morning, so the dim light is maybe just slanting in over the temple walls, and it's a kind of grayish, palish color. And Jesus is speaking, and you're there, and you're listening. You look at him sit, and then you see over there. There's some religious leaders like, "Oh, this is gonna be fun. Probably another confrontation." <laughs> and they're bringing, and as they get closer, you notice, "Oh, they're dragging a woman." And then as the woman comes closer, you notice. Oh, she does not look like she's had a good night. And then she gets thrown down in the midst. Like, oh, and then the fingers are pointing and adulteress. And that's all you hear. Adult, oh my. This is, uh, and, and you're sitting there. And of course, all your attention is there like adulteress. So, and you maybe, you can imagine maybe the circle stepping back a little bit. And then the religious leaders, whom of course know everything about God, they're pointing at her and saying, the law of Moses says, and then they're like, yeah, if it does, if it says so, then yes, stoner, absolutely. And you can hear, so what do you say, Jesus? And you can almost hear in the pause that he gives, the rest of the crowd, stoner, stoner, like, yeah, duh, that's the law. And then Jesus still doesn't say anything. 
And remember, he's seated. We often think he stoops down onto his knees and does this, but he's seated. So all it means is he leans forward a little bit on the ground where he already is, and he starts doing something on the ground with his finger. And now, you know, everyone's getting a little bit uncomfortable. The woman even sits up a little bit. What's going on? Do you see what's happening here? Jesus is letting silence speak. And this is something we fear tremendously as plugged in Americans. Silence speaks. Now, we love to be taught because when we're taught through audible words, teaching uh, tells us what to see, right? You see this and do that and practice that. But silence teaches us how to see. It's a big difference. And Jesus here in the silence is letting the people now see for themselves what's happening. You can imagine now, right? So you've taken your step back. Yeah, stoner. Like everybody else around you is thinking like, yeah, yeah, I agree. That's what the law says. Let's do it. And then you're just like, so uncomfortable. The silence is going on so long. You're uncomfortable. And Jesus just, what's he doing? And then I was, you know, what else do you do? Wait a minute. Why is she alone? Wait a minute. Why are the religious leaders not taking care of this themselves? That's their job, not Jesus's. Wait, and all these, you start to see things you never saw before. What's going on? See, Jesus here was put in a corner where they say, hey, Jesus, here she is. Either condemn her or condone her. Either or, right now, tell us. Jesus is like, I'm not playing this either-or game. The whole world has played either-or games forever and ever. You're either for Caesar or you're against him. What are you? Fine, crucify him. Okay, good. You pay taxes. That's the way the whole world has always worked. It's either-or. You're either for the angels or for the Dodgers. That actually doesn't work because you're like, I'm not for baseball. So (laughs) if you're a Democrat, you are not a Republican. We live in an either or world and Jesus is, they're trying to peg Jesus into one of the two camps. But he steps back and he says, well, and he doesn't really say, it's the silence that says it. I don't play the either or game. I play the neither nor game. I see a third way. She is neither condemned nor am I condoning what she does. We don't have to be so rash and reactionary. This happened. Okay, it's either this or it's that. We got to make one a response or the other. And that's how we live our lives. Something happens. And okay, we filter the world in one of two camps and instantly, okay, this, this. And of course, it makes sense. This is how you make life efficient, right? You don't have to overthink things. It's like, okay, cool, cool. And everything's on autopilot. But that's what would have happened here. Here she is. She's an adulteress. Oh, stoner! Right there. Immediately filter this through one of the camps that it belonged in. Either or. Stoner! But Jesus says, this isn't life. True religious leaders will let silence speak, and they will play the neither nor game. Well, okay, that is a sin. But I'm not sure how to talk about that right now. Or I'm not sure what my role is in that right now. And so in the silence, he invites the others there to see the fishiness of what's going on. Side note, I don't think she's framed. Many people say because the man's not there, she's framed. I don't buy that at all. She seems very scared, very thankful. And if she's framed, Jesus was duped. 
you're forgiven. Why would you have to forgive a, do, a, a framed woman? Nah, she's not framed. She's guilty. But notice that Jesus never asks her when they all leave. Oh, by the way, did you do it? His unconditional love says, I don't care if you did it or not. You're still my daughter. Um, but what about this? What if there is no husband in this passage? For whatever the historical reason is, the meaning of the story now becomes the adulterer who's not present is actually present in all those pointing the finger at her. Because they're quick to accuse because they don't realize that they are adulterers themselves. They're hiding that. They're denying that. They're pretending they're not that. So it's an adulteress. Oh my goodness. They're playing the ABCs of deniers and they are actually the adulterers. And that's maybe why Jesus, so he finally, the silence is finally unbearable and he finally, he actually stands up now. He gets up all the way Maybe wipes his finger off on his cloak. Anyone without sin? Be my guest. Throw the first stone. Now, by the time the silence has been broken, the perspective has shifted. People are now understanding what's going on. Wait a minute. That's right. We've been looking from the outside in. Ah, she's a prostitute or an adulteress. Therefore, I'm not that, so I'm a good person. And Jesus in the silence shifted the perspective from inside out. Wait a minute. I'm, I have been a little, uh, I can relate to this woman. So are you without sin? And by now they're like, mm, no, we're sinners. Okay. And they go. And so Jesus then comes to her and he says, you know, they're gone. The accusers Neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. What happens if we do the ABCs of sinners? That's not accusing, blaming, or condemning, but it is admitting, bringing, and confessing our sin before God. If we go that route, Jesus says, hey, I don't condemn you because you understand that you are messed up and you're not pointing the finger at other people. Um, so then what happens is the misery within us that makes us want to blame others. Jesus turns the misery into mercy because he says, all right, I love you no matter what. And then instead of being miserable and pointing the finger, we've experienced mercy. And now we are going around using our finger to write in the ground and excusing sinners and saying, Hey, God loves you so much. I want you to know that. Now go and live in his abundant freedom. That's powerful. So here's the question. Is the new creation built out of punishing sin or is it built out of unconditional love? Religious leaders wanted the first. Jesus gave us the second. And listen, we can punish sin all we want, but there will always be another adulteress to throw into another circle. Got rid of one, there will be another. But if we look inward and ask for forgiveness for the adulterer within ourselves, then the world will slowly lose adulteresses. Amen. 